0: So, go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Hugh Halter, in his book called Flesh Bringing the Incarnation Down to Earth, he tells an unlikely story of the day when he took his daughter to a tattoo parlor when she was a teenager to get her first tattoo. Yeah. And he's having this conversation with the tattoo artist. And he says to the artist, his name was Sean. Sean, what? What, What's the the big deal about ink these days? It seems like everybody, everywhere is getting tattoos. Why the sudden popularity? It seems like it's growing with exponential popularity. And then the tattoo artist had a very serious answer when he, he had these words to say. Because it's something permanent etched on someone's flesh that can't be stolen, taken away, or corrupted. It's unique to them, deeply, irrevocably theirs, and represents a story that has formed them. A story that has formed them, or at least means something to them. When someone lets me etch something meaningful on their dermis... That means a lot to me, and it should mean even more to them. Skin matters a lot. That's how he ended his response. And I'm thinking about that story as I think about what it means to wear something in your life that tells a story of a moment or an experience or something that has shaped you, to wear on your body something that has shaped you. Because see, here we are in part three in the middle of this series called The Cruciform Way. And I've been talking about the cross of Jesus Christ. And what I'm trying to, to, to convey during these ten weeks is that in the cross of Jesus, yes, forgiveness has been afforded to all humankind, for all people, for all sin, for all time, in that moment, the consummation of the ages when Christ was crucified upon the cross. But the argument that I'm making through these these next several weeks is that the cross of Jesus is not simply a way for us to get into heaven when we die. That more than an assurance of eternal life after death, the cross of Jesus Christ is a clarion call to a way of life before death. Yeah. Jesus even said it this way. He said, look, if you want to be my followers, if any wish to be my disciples, they must first deny themselves, take up their cross and follow. To Take up their cross and follow. So the Christian is to live a cross-focused, cross-centered, cross-shaped life. That's what the word cruciform means, really. It means to live a cross-shaped life. And I want to submit to you today that there is a way to wear in your person, to wear on your life the mark of something that has so shaped you that that very mark is the story of how you've been shaped. You can wear in your life evidence of having been shaped By the cross. And I'm not talking so much about ink. That's another sermon altogether. What I'm talking about are scars. Your scars tell the story of cruciform love. Your scars—the very things that you wished to hide and camouflage, and not reveal to all the world around you, lest you look vulnerable and weak—your scars are the places where cruciform love has won the day. Now, this is important because in this book that we're studying, the First Corinthians, the letter to the first, the first letter to the church at Corinth. There is an interesting verse in the middle of the third chapter. And we've been talking about this reality that Paul is writing to a group of Christians who live in the city called Corinth. And Corinth is vexed by division and conflict and strife. And all of the patterns, watch this, all the patterns that were becoming Corinthian in nature were beginning to seep into the soil or make its way into the bloodstream of the Christians who were living in Corinth. We've talked the last couple of weeks about how it's possible to let the patterns of culture so much be in the church that there's more culture in the church than Christ in the church. And Paul was looking and seeing that they were beginning to live lives that were not even discernibly different than any of the other non-believing Corinthians. Now, made for another sermon is this subject. When the church and the people of the church begin to live lives that cannot be in any way distinguished from the lives of those who have no faith and have no, 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 no faith in Christ, well, then the church has jumped the track. And in, Corinth, in the Corinth church, Paul is noticing that there are some things that the people in the church of Corinth are beginning to do that look no different than the rest of the city around them. He said, look, some of you are following like this leader over here, Apollos, and some of you are following this leader, Peter, and some of you are following me. And and the trouble is, what that does is it conveys something about what you think of your life. It says, you know, you're you're trusting the leader to do the faith. You're you're trusting, maybe the church will do my faith for me. Uh, Maybe my parents will do my faith for me. Maybe the pastor will or the Sunday school leader will. Somebody else, I'll put my trust and confidence in this other person because they are clearly talented and the the Spirit of God is in them. And then this one verse in the middle of chapter 3 emerges. And and Paul says, do you not know that you are God's temple? And and that God's spirit dwells in you. Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit, the, the power of God's presence and God's action in the world, it dwells in you. And it was hard for them to believe just as it's hard for you and I to believe. And it's for the same reason. We... We rarely believe that the true power of God's presence and God's action is actually within our lives. Because you know what we're mostly aware of? We're aware of our weaknesses. We're aware of how we have fallen. And we know that we are insecure and insufficient. We know that we are inadequate. And every time we look in the mirror and we shave our face or don't shave our face or whatever you do when you look in the mirror, you know All of your rap sheet, you know the resume of your own weaknesses and vulnerabilities and scars. And Paul says, look, even so, do you know that you are the temple, the housing unit, the the dwelling place of the most high God? And you hear me from time to time using that phrase, don't you? The presence and action of God. God because you can't have the presence of God without the action of God. They are inextricably bound to one another. Yes, he became flesh, but he dwelt among us. Wherever God is, God is up to something, and God is in you. And some of us have such a hard time believing that, and and it's not because God is not in you that the Spirit of the Most High is not dwelling in you. It's not because of that, but it's because we have fallen asleep to it. We don't recognize the The power that is just beneath the surface. And do you know who I think has a really hard time remembering (laughs) that the power of God's presence and action is in you? Do you know who I think sometimes has a really hard time remembering you are the temple of the the Most High? It's, It's moms. On Mother's Day, can I just speak respectfully to all mothers who may be in the room or who may be listening? The fact is you carry so much. And you... With what you carry, you bear the weight of anxiety so often. You worry about your inadequacies. You worry that you're insufficient, that you're not enough. What if I'm messing up my kids? Here's a word of grace. You are. I mean, we are. We're going to mess them all up. That's why we depend on grace to save the day and the community of faith to help us stand back up when we fall back down. But moms, can I just... And I tell you that I know you carry around in your minds and your hearts this weight of comparison because you see another mom who has apparently figured it out, got it all worked out. I mean, she not only has the kids so well behaved, but she looks so well put together and she doesn't look stressful. She looks so much at ease. There's a steadiness of heart with her, a peace of mind with her. But what you don't know is that she has projected this image. She's propped up this image and beneath that image, there is a scar of her own. If we can just be honest and vulnerable and be courageous enough to be vulnerable with our scars, we might find just how free we all really are. And yet, moms, I want you to know that despite those moments when you are absolutely convinced that there is nothing divine going on in your home... that the writers of Scripture no less than 15 times when given the opportunity to describe what the power of the presence and action of God look like, no less than 15 times, Hebrew Bible and New Testament, they use the imagery of motherhood. Of motherhood. Especially the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Just listen for a moment to Isaiah chapter 2. We hear these words, for a long time I have held my peace, God speaks. I have kept still and restrained myself. By the way, if I had a nickel for every time I heard my mother and the mother of my son say that, I've kept my peace. I have restrained. I've had it right up to about here. And then these words, for a long time, yes, but now I cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp. And pant, and the words in Hebrew there are words of intense exhaling, as if you're in the throes of labor itself. And this is the imagery that the scripture writers use to describe the kind of intensity with which God groans at the sight of God's children in in trouble. Or or in, in chapter 46 of that same book, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me. From your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age I am he. Even when you turn gray, I will carry you. Then these words, I have made and I will bear. I will carry and I will save. These are maternal images. And of all the images at the disposal of the writer of Scripture, the writer is using maternal, motherly images to bring out the reality that the presence of God's uh, presence and action are in you. And then finally, from chapter 66, we hear these words. For thus says the Lord, I will extend prosperity to her like a river and the wealth of nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse and be carried on her arm and dandled on her knees. As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. I mean, no less than 15 times all throughout Scripture, there are these images when the image was offered to the writer to write about the power of God's presence and action, God's own spirit in the world, he uses the imagery of motherhood. There's an ancient proverb, a Jewish proverb, that reads, as uh, God couldn't be everywhere at one time, so God created mother. Somebody say amen. Or in the words of Eric um, Draven, mother is the first name for God on the lips and hearts of of all children, it doesn't get more raw, more real, more enfleshed than to look at the action of motherhood to understand godhood. Yeah. But maybe of all the places, no place speaks more poignantly today than in chapter 49 of that same prophet. Listen to these words. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child or show no compassion for the children of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Do you know what that literally means? In the ancient practice of tribes and clans, I have tattooed you on my hand. I have inscribed the name of the clan, the name of the tribe, your own name. God wears on God's own hands your identity, who you are. You belong to God, and God belongs to you. Never underestimate the power of scars left from the struggle. And moms, I mean that in every conceivable way. And sometimes moms have a hard time with body image after having given life, given birth, right? Never underestimate the power of scars left from the struggle because they represent life. They are a symbolic power that you have done something that the divine can do. Now, we used to live in Florida, you know that. And in Florida, there are alligators everywhere. I mean, not everywhere, but you know what I mean. You got to be careful where you swim. You got to be careful where you fish because there are gators in even the most residential of lakes and ponds. And a few years ago, there was a mom who was looking out of her window and she saw her seven-year-old boy playing near the water on the dock. And he, he jumps in to swim. He's a good swimmer. He's swimming toward the middle of the the lake and he doesn't see what she can see which is there is a gator in the middle of the lake swimming toward him so she takes off and she bursts through the door and she screams and and she runs down to the edge of the dock but it's too late the the gator had grabbed the boy by the legs and she grabs the boy by the arms and a tug of war ensues and this mother with a fierceness of fear and resolve is pulling and so is the gator pulling and and it's and she's screaming while she's doing it and a man in a truck nearby sees and notices the 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 disruption and he gets out of his truck and he brings his gun and he aims and he kills the gator and they go to the hospital and the boy spends weeks in the hospital recovering and healing from these these wounds on his leg and a reporter comes by to make a story about the little boy and his survival The reporter comes to the child and says, do you mind if I see the scars on your legs? And he says, yeah, sure. And he pulls up the pant leg and shows the scars that he had received from the gator marks, the the, the teeth of the alligator. But then after he showed the scars, the little boy said this, and I've got great scars on my arms. That's where mom wouldn't let go. (laughs) Yeah. Come on, mamas. That's where mom wouldn't let go, but I tell you that story to remind you don't underestimate the power of the scar that has come from the struggle because the scar in your life is evidence that God didn't let go. The scar of that season in which you thought you would never make it out and where the jaws of death itself had clamped down on your hope preparing to do a death roll on you, the scars that you still bear in your mind and in your heart, and maybe even in your body, are evidences that God did not let go of you. What if you found the courage to become vulnerable enough with your scars that others may see and find hope? See, one of the mysteries of the resurrection that I have have struggled for years to get my mind around was that when Jesus was raised from the dead, God raised Jesus, and and even though he brought him to new life, the father left five gaping wounds on his body, two in his hands, two in his feet, one in his side. And for the longest time, I struggled to understand if God could bring from death itself. This is resurrection, not resuscitation. I mean, if he can bring from death itself new life, why would he not just give him a whole new body? And then we have this story that's told where one of the disciples, his name is Thomas. He wasn't with the disciples when Jesus first showed up and was resurrected and made an appearance. And he wasn't there. And the disciples kept saying, no, you don't understand, he's alive. He's not dead anymore. We've seen him. And And Thomas said, I I will not believe until I place my hands in his scars. Unless I can place my hands in the scars, the nail marks in his hand, and plunge my hand into the wound in his side, I will not believe. In fact, the word in Greek is pistis, which means I cannot have faith. It's as if Thomas is saying, I am not wired that way. I cannot have faith unless I can touch some scars. And then as you know, I've shared this so many times before, I'm just so moved by the Caravaggio painting of the Doubting Thomas. Here's a look at it. And we have Thomas reaching forward, plunging one finger into the side of Jesus, into a scar, into his wound. And it occurs to me that the wounds of Jesus were left there. The scars remained on his body, because the scars are the places where we latch on. The scars are the places where we are convinced that we serve a God who knows what it means to have gone through your despair. And the very next picture, if you zoom in a little bit, you'll notice that Thomas has one hand in the side of Jesus. But in his other hand, he's holding his own side as if to say it is in woundedness that we connect with God. And if it is in woundedness, where by his stripes we are healed then healing comes from the scars. And your scar, even if it has taken years for it to heal, may be the latching on place for someone else to have hope in the midst of their despair. What if there is healing in your scars for someone else? So to live the cruciform life, the cross-shaped life, has something to do with learning to walk through this life vulnerably. This is where I failed. And over here is where I fell down. And this over here is my struggle and I can't seem to get away from it. Over here, I'm addicted. Right here, she left me. Over here, he walked out on me. And we hide those things because we feel like they are marks of shame. Could anything be more shame riddled than the cross? And Jesus said, here I am. Put your hands in my scars and place your hand in my side. What if you and I could learn to truly live the cross-shaped life, the cruciform life in which we become vulnerable because it's in our vulnerabilities where God is able to show off because the scar is evidence that God didn't let go of you and won't. So when I was four years old, I know some of you know this story. I had a surgery. See, I have, a, I have a, some scars on my body. One really kind of cool scar, right? That's okay because chicks dig scars, right? At least one chick I know does. You know. But it's a pretty impressive scar, right? And, and what happened at four years old, I had what's called a diaphragmatic hernia, which means there was a hole in my diaphragm. I was born with it. And then parts of your body, stomach, intestine, spleen, move up through that hole and collapse your lungs and move your heart out of place. And they got to break you open. Go in and rearrange the pieces and put you back. And it left me with this pretty big scar. It runs from about right here all the way around my body to the very top of my back, like they opened me wide up, right? Well, fast forward. I'm fine. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) Doing fine. Thanks for asking. (laughs) About 20, 25 years after that surgery, I was a youth pastor in Virginia. And we took our youth to the hospital from time to time because we had a ministry where we would go to this children's wing of the hospital. And in the waiting rooms, we would minister. We would bring snacks. Some of the youth would play with the siblings whose brother or sister may be in surgery. And the adults, we would talk to the moms and dads, comfort them, pray with them if they welcomed it. It was a different day because it was a time when you could still smoke inside. There was like a smoking section of this hospital waiting room. Can you imagine why we did with the things we used to do? But there was this woman sitting by herself, and she had this ashtray that was full of cigarette butts, and she was just lighting one right off the other, and she was just she was kind of knee was shaking, nervous, completely alone. I went and sat with her for just a moment just to sit and talk and so what brings you here? Well, my son is uh, he's having surgery, and you could tell she was visibly upset. hadn't slept. And I said, "Do you mind if I ask what what they're doing so we can maybe pray?" And he, she said, uh, "It's a really rare um, condition, and um, you may not have heard of it, but it's called a diaphragmatic hernia." <laughs> I said, "You don't say." She said, yes, yeah, where there's this hole, and it moves up in the lungs, and the heart does this thing, and I just listened. And I said, and she was really worried. She said, I know the doctors tell me it's going to be fine. They've come a long way with that surgery, but that's my baby in there, and I am scared. And, and, and I said, do you mind if I, can I, would you mind if I sh- showed you something? Then it got a little creepy for a minute. Because, so. <laughs> but I, I took my shirt and took half of it off. And showed her my scar. And I said, I had the same thing when I was his age. And I'm doing great. And she began to weep. Because no matter what the doctors told her about the prognosis and their practice and their capacity to repair her son, she needed to see a scar as evidence that there was hope for that day. And what if you and I had the capacity to become vulnerable enough with not just the scars on our bodies, but the scars in our minds and hearts and our spirit, so that we are able to say, look, it's in my weakness that God showed up and God did not let go of me. Yes. So Paul did this. And Paul had plenty of reasons to brag and boast about Paul's own resume, his own abilities. But do you know what he chose to to brag about the most? His scars his woundedness, his weakness. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, listen to his, his bragging about weakness. Five times I, was, I have received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked for a night and a day, and I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and sisters... In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, hungry and thirsty, often without food, cold, naked. See, these are scars he's talking about. See, he says, and besides all this, I'm under daily pressure because of my anxiety. Anxiety is a scar, by the way. Because of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who's been made to stumble and I'm not indignant? If I must boast... I will boast in the things that show my weakness. Then he goes on in the very next chapter. He picks up and says, Therefore, to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, a scar to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. You know, you can't get rid of scars, right? You can get rid of wounds because they become scars, but you can't get rid of scars. I asked three times that it would leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is made perfect in weakness, so I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ, for whenever I am weak, then I am strong. My beloved sisters and brothers, we live in zip codes where the cultural norm is don't let them see you sweat. Do not show the, the, the chink in your armor. Don't let them know where you are broken and are still healing. But the Apostle Paul and all the saints and your broken pastor is saying to you, the cruciform way is to live cross-shaped. And to live cross-shaped means here is the wound that I bear, and I don't despise it because the wound is evidence that he did not let go of me. Yeah. Now, it may be today that you're at a place where you want to experience that kind of confidence in your weakness. And I promise you, you can. Maybe today you realize you have never prayed in such a way as to welcome the God who bore his own scars to heal you and yours. If you... If you don't know how to start this journey of faith, it may be simpler than you think. God's not looking for perfection and God is not looking for us to have figured things out before we pick up our cross and follow. He's looking for those who are willing to recognize that we cannot figure it out and that outside of ourselves, there is only one who can. So maybe today you You pray a prayer that sounds like this. And just right where you are, in the sanctuary, family life center, or at home, maybe just borrow my words and pray these words. I confess to you, God, that I have pretended for far too long. I have been wounded. I've been knocked down. I've been, I've been, I've lost the breath in my lungs I've crawled my way through life, and all the while, I've pretended like it's okay, like I'm fine. Well, I'm not fine, but I recognize that it's in you that all of my woundedness and my sin and my trouble is actually redeemed, and I welcome you to show me what you can do with my life. I confess my sins, and I ask that you forgive me of the places where I have wandered Lord, prone to wander, Lord. I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, but here is my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. I yield my life to the power of your presence and your redeeming love. And I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. That's it. If you prayed that here in the sanctuary, or if you prayed that at home, or in your family life center, and and you meant it in your heart, understand that God has heard that prayer. And we want to know about that. So you can't do this journey alone. You're never meant to do this journey alone. We're meant to be a community of faith. So here's what I want you to do. If you prayed that prayer today, then at the conclusion of this service, in the sanctuary, and in the family life center, there will be pastors right up here. You'll see David right up here in the sanctuary, and you'll see Pastor Annie in the Family Life Center. They're waiting to talk to you. Just come and tell them that you prayed. You don't have to know what the next step is. They won't either, but together, you'll take it. One step at a time. And if you're at home and you can't come, we want you to contact us, email us at connect at jcbc.org. Now, why would I talk about that here in the middle of a worship service? Because we take your journey seriously. And if you want to talk about the next step of your faith, That we want to listen but for now now we come to the time in worship when it is time for the body of christ to scatter into this world to scatter empowered with confidence and now i'm going to ask you to stand as you're able to your feet both here at family life center so that we leave with words of strength and comfort and confidence as we move into a world and demonstrate by the way we live that we actually believe what we've affirmed in this place today. So wherever you go, may Christ go before you to prepare your way. May Christ go behind you in the days that you fear and feel like retreating to encourage you one step further at a time. May Christ go to your right and Christ to your left, abiding closer than even a sister or a brother. May Christ go above you in the days when dark clouds roll in to remind you there is one above the clouds who at the end of the day has the final word. May Christ go beneath you, girding you with confidence and removing all forms of fear. But mostly, may Christ go in you, transforming you from the inside out until your hearts beat in rhythm with his. Go in the peace of our Lord. Amen.